does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Want to welcome in Kevin Bowen, host of Kevin and Query. Weekday mornings here on The Fan. KB, what's going on, man? So we were just talking about these Michael Jordan shoes being sold from the flu game. Game 5 of the 97 finals. About $1.4 million. If money was no object for you, or somebody gave you a free roll. They said, hey, KB, here's $1.4 million. You have to use it on any piece of sports memorabilia throughout the years over here. What's something that immediately flashes to your mind that you would use that money for? Outstanding question. Um, Tiger Woods' putter, 08 U.S. Open. Um, I guess he's pretty much had the same putter his whole life, but... That putt uh, to force the playoff with Rocco or Woods Wedge from chipping in left at sixteen oh five Masters when it hung on the lip, or just that Nike golf ball might be yeah as well. Um, but yes, I would go with one of those two clubs. You know what I randomly thought of? Do you remember the fight where the dude went into the ring? in like a self-propelled jet or whatever that was. I think it was. Was yes, it um, yes. was it a Vander Holyfield and George Foreman, I think, right? Remember Fan Man or what? If I could spend money on that contraption, I think that would be hilarious because that would be way different than what you would normally see in like a memorabilia section of your home. Picture you flying into the studio. On the circle, floor six with that. Yeah, right. 11.58, here comes Brian. No, here we go. Let's go. I like your idea. I might just put that into general usage right there. Forget about displaying it. I'm going to use that bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, KB. So, uh, Colts in camp. We were just talking about Jonathan Taylor, and he's trying to get a new deal. Where do you stand on what you think the Colts should do with Jonathan Taylor going forward? Yeah, I'd have some real hesitancy about giving him whatever the four- or five-year deal that I'm assuming he wants. You know, he probably deserves to reset the running back market just if you purely acted like running backs play great football deep into their 20s and around age 30. And I get it. He's rather unique. Um, You can probably look at it one of two ways. First off, uh, I think he's really never been hurt. Last year was the first time he's ever battled injuries in his career. Um, Or you can look at it the other way and say, look at all the wear and tear he had at Wisconsin. I mean, they treated him like he was all they had, which I guess is largely true for the three seasons that he was at running back. So um, I'm just hesitant going that deep into it. Um, I can hear people screaming out there. It says, oh, well, I mean, what else does Chris Bowers spend money on? Touche. I don't disagree with that. It's not like you're spending money on a quarterback anytime soon or a left tackle or defensive end. So for those reasons, I could see, you know, okay, it's not like the finances are going anywhere else. But, again, having said that, I just don't love committing to running backs that deep into their 20s. I'm probably more of a let's play this fourth year out, let's slap the franchise tag on them and kind of see what happens from there. Because, obviously, he's still going to be a very hungry, hungry guy at that point of his career. And, yeah, you might piss him off a little bit, but he's still has a lot of individual stuff to play for. So that's probably the path I would take, do something either play it out 
throw the franchise tag on him, two to three year extension. You know, I think it's four or five. It's a little too rich for me. Yes, that was my next question, KB, is where do you stand on the debate of money versus years? Because when Brian and I were discussing it earlier, and I think you've already kind of answered that, but when we were discussing it earlier, if it was three years with like a record-setting highest annual evaluation salary for a running back, I, I'm not as mad at that as I would have been if it's a four- or five-year deal that is you know, $17, 18000000 million a season if he's going for like real reset money. And even if it was a normalized amount, like a $13, $14, or $15 million a year deal, I just don't know that I'm comfortable with a four- or five-year contract given what we've seen running backs be in this league the last five, ten years. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jimmy. Um, I, I could probably be okay with the three-year and the really high annual, the high guarantee of that. Again, you would support Richardson through those early stages when he really needs to be supported. And at the same time, as I was mentioned earlier, I mean, you're not paying Anthony Richardson any money outside of his rookie contract for at least four years. And then you look at Ryman at left tackle, you know, positions that you are likely to pay. You're not paying him for the next couple of years. And then pay would be the last one in terms of a young defensive end and paying him big money. So I think when you factor in those three positions, and even Pittman's not going to break the bank if you give him what he would like, uh, I think when you factor all that in, I, I could hear that out. I just I have such a hesitancy, and it probably goes back to the draft, honestly. I just have such a hesitancy about even drafting running backs as high. Taylor's an outstanding player, but here we are having legit contract debates about him. It's just it's a shame, but that's how the running back position is valued in today's NFL, and I think rightfully so. Man, you look at Dalvin Cook, former Vikings running back, and he's seeking close to $10 million per year from his new team. And obviously this has a trickle-down effect with Jonathan Taylor, but what kind of money do you think Dalvin Cook will get year one with his new team? Yeah, that's a good question. Um yeah, what was he making annually when Minnesota cut him? I guess I could I could start there if you guys know that off the top of your head. I know the cap it was going to be around fourteen million this year, and that's why they were like, "Yeah, no." Yeah, you know, I think anything in that fifteen ballpark, especially when guys are not necessarily like great third down players. I mean, Cook certainly can help you out in the passing game, but he's not McCaffrey, he's not Alvin Kamara. Um, so, yeah, tennis. It's just weird. I mean, you got guys on the open market and late July or mid-June like this, potentially into late July when training camp starts, it's just hard to like kind of assess a proper market value. But I would think Taylor would want, you know, right around 15, if not more than that. Kev, this is a question that since we're in the contract realm, I've thought about more and more the last couple of days, and it is what to do as a team building, not just exercise, but a real strategic implementation for what to do with the money or the savings that you have, thanks to having Anthony Richardson on a rookie contract. I know, to preface this, it all depends on him panning out, right? If he's not a franchise guy, then it doesn't really matter that you're getting him on the cheap. It matters if he's able to take that leap. So let's say that he does. We talk about how it feels like things are short up on the interior of the defensive line with guys like DeForest Buckner and a contract year for Grover Stewart. But if I'm trying to map this out of where this team's going to be like if they eventually get into a championship window, I don't necessarily see either Grover Stewart or DeForest Buckner being a part of that. Where does that view their mentality of players in the trenches that are getting towards their 30s or into their 30s when mapping out where they need to address things, not just in free agency, but in these next couple of drafts 
again, not specific prospects, but just there's decisions to be made in the trenches, are there not? Yeah, and I just think you have to have a total alteration, Jimmy, uh, of your plan. And it's getting away from these rich, rich investments, particularly on the interior of the offensive line. I mean, you know, people are, you know, the Colts should move Braden Smith to right guard. I'm thinking, can you imagine Quentin Nelson, sixth overall pick, making the amount of money he's making? Ryan Kelly, 18th overall pick, making the amount of money he's making. And then Braden Smith, again, what, 36th, 37th overall pick, making the amount of money that he's making as your three interior spots. Like, just go back to these recent Super Bowl champions. The teams just do not invest in that area anywhere near to that level. So I just think you've got to kind of alter that pattern. I can listen to the defensive line a little bit, probably more off the edge. And I get the defensive tackle, and you see it with your Chiefs, have certainly risen with what that position means and just interior pocket pressure and all of that. But I would start there just like, all right, can you kind of reset the philosophy? Again, that's my opinion. I'm not expecting Ballard all of a sudden have such an epiphany, but that's where I would start. Kevin Bowen joining us here. Kevin and Query, weekday mornings here on The Fan. So, random place I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to Washington Nationals baseball. Okay, KB? So, there was a call last night that the uh, manager, Davey Martinez, wanted to be made. It was not made. After the game, he said this. I'm over this play. (laughs) I'm over it. And he clearly was not anywhere close to being over it. So, you as a sports fan, this is what I want to know. What was... A tough loss, a painful memory that's been hard for you to get over, and uh, and how long did it take you to get over that? I just need a couple of examples from you. God, I'm going to start drinking here at about 110 on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon. Um, okay. Two immediately come into my mind. Uh, the Bush Push game, 05. Uh, yes. I was there. Yep. Can you believe that, KB? Yeah, I was, I was unfortunately there. I... I Probably threw some things across campus walking back to the car that I that I regret, but you know, fandom is fandom is fandom, and I, I'm not going to apologize too much for it. Uh, and then the other one, which really hurts even more because I'm obsessed with Notre Dame basketball, Elite Eight, twenty uh, what was it 2015? Yeah, Notre Dame Kentucky uh, in mm. Cleveland when yeah. Notre Dame I thought outplayed Kentucky for the better part of 40 minutes and had chances numerous chances and could not get it done over the undefeated Cats, who then came here, lost to Wisconsin. I think Notre Dame could have beat Wisconsin. Notre Dame had already beaten Duke twice that year. That's who Duke beat, or Duke beat Wisconsin in the title game. So, yeah, those two I think of uh, way too often. And now that you brought that up, I think the rest of June I'll be thinking about both those games. I'm sorry about that. I apologize, man. <laughs> Kev, unfortunately, I, I don't have a necessarily uh, upswing pick-me-up to have for you here because my yeah, conversation is still... I'm one. I, I, I know. Um, you could talk about the Reds. There you go. Uh, hey, hey, Kev, uh, we'll end this interview. <laughs> well, Eddie, we could go what? Eddie, we could go any of those San Francisco Giants games from a decade ago in that playoff series. <laughs> I think he was looking for current, like the Reds right now, yes. like picking the Royals uh, apart yeah, and, and, and okay. a sense of, of only being, what, two, three and a half games back uh, in terms of the division race to try to get you to pick me up there. Um, the other question I had for you, Colts related, Kev, was we're not going to get the answer at quarterback, but you mentioned it in your piece on 1075thefan.com with your takeaways from the offseason program, the conversation we've all been having, which is that. I know they drafted for cornerback need, but my thought was they addressed the draft that way because they realized that Rodgers and Moore were both on contract years and they needed answers 
next season, maybe not immediately right away with the fallout with Isaiah Rogers still to come and likely needing someone to fill his void. Where were your evaluation on where those rookie corners are, albeit in a small sample size? And wouldn't you like to have a veteran cornerback in here before training camp if that's the route you wanted to go? Yeah, I'm actually okay with no vet there. You know, I said this before, Jimmy, the last few weeks. Like, positions that directly impact Anthony Richardson, all the veteran support you could want. Positions that don't, i.e. defensive side of the ball, I can live with, you know, having these younger guys, especially when you've invested so much a corner into the young guys. Uh, you know, back to your earlier point about the young corners this spring, it's probably one of the more disappointing parts of the spring is, you know, Juju Brents, the second-round pick out of Warren, he was out the whole spring due to a wrist injury. Darius Rush, the fifth-round pick out of South Carolina, who I really like, he had a nice first mini camp, um, and then I think he was out three straight weeks with a hamstring injury to end it. So, I mean, you were starting corners and named Daryl Baker Jr. and Tony Brown. Again, these are not household names at all. Um, it's gotten to the point at corner where Dallas Flowers, who, you know, we saw end the year you know, decently well, and I'd probably flash more as a returner. The dude did not play a defensive snap in the NFL or hadn't played a defensive snap in the NFL until last December. And now I would almost call him a definite starter or, or at least a very, very likely starter entering training camp. That's just kind of where you're at, a corner. And the guy that maybe has the label of the most disappointing Colt from last year, Kenny Moore, is one of your more indispensable players, given how that group looks. So I know having said all that, that probably would say, hey, go out and get a free agent. But if those young guys are healthy – which, again, they should be at the start of camp. I can get behind that because I just don't view this season as, you know, must win the AFC South, life or death with it. So that was a little bit of a bummer uh, with, with how the spring period went in terms of just not a lot of action for those young corners. Hey, KB, good stuff, man. Sorry to bring up memories of the Bush Bush game. I really do apologize. Yeah, heading to the nearest tavern. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> hey, have a great Father's Day, KB, on that note. Have a good Father's Day weekend since we won't talk to you between now and then. Thank you, Jimmy Cook. Appreciate it. <laughs> Very See nice. You, See you, man. There he is, Kevin Bowen, host of Kevin and Query here, weekday mornings on The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan today. I want to welcome in Nate Atkins, Colts beat reporter at the Indy Star, joining us here. Nate, you know, I had a flashback just a second ago. So I worked in Fresno for a little while, ungodly hot in the summer months and some of the coaching staff they would go with kind of like the straw hats not quite bucket but sort of bucket sort of straw they really come out and they they like shield your neck and your face a little bit you ever go bucket slash straw hat when you're out there uh to be honest with you i'd never do that and then i just sweat and complain about it so um i'm not i guess i'm not as sophisticated as some of the coaches i just sort of like throw myself out there and uh, just load up on the sun, uh, the sunscreen. Try not get too burnt out there, but then walk back in later and wonder why I did that. <laughs> you ever get just a gnarly burn out there at camp? Uh, I'm pretty religious about sunscreen, so uh, I have. You know, you get a look, you get tan for sure, which is nice. I, I look less uh, pasty white all the time, but uh, no, I've, I've luckily avoided the sunburn so far. 
I like that, man. Uh, we've been talking about Jonathan Taylor today. He had some recent comments about his contract and wanting an extension. What do you think is the smartest way for the Colts to proceed with Taylor? Well, with Taylor, I think the I think the best model when you look at him as a player, the, the type of type of running back he is, and uh, kind of what his skills really demand in the market. I think I look at a guy like Nick Chubb, who the Browns extended just a couple of years ago, but he's the of the, uh, the top five contracts in the league. He's the only one that was less than four or five years. He got a three-year deal. Uh, for 12.2 million a year, which would have put it that's the fourth highest average in the league, and it's one of those where Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor, if you look at kind of the advanced numbers, those two are probably with Derrick Henry the the three best pure runners in football. Uh, those, especially Chubb and uh, really all three of those, those kind of explosive breakaway runners. Those are the guys that you can't just go and replace in the draft. Where in the draft, they, you know. This league cycles through running backs because it's more about your running game is often about you know the quality of your offensive line, your blocking scheme, the way you draw it up. But you know the average player can't rip off, you can't turn you know a blocked 15 yard run into a 60 yard run the way that Taylor Chubb and Henry can. So those guys are worth an extra clip because of that. And Nick Chubb specifically, it was a deal where you know, they kind of signed him for for shorter term because. You know, it was a little harder for a pure runner type player to protect from the effects of, you know, injury and wear and tear. But they can maximize it for the short period of time that they sign him for and maybe guarantee a little bit more and give him a little bit higher of an annual value, you know, while they're doing that. So I, I think that's kind of the comp for Jonathan Taylor because they're both incredibly explosive backs, some of the best in the league at ripping off these kind of game-breaking runs and and really just turning kind of negative-type runs into some kind of positive game. But I think where they fall maybe a little bit short of the top guys of the market, which is Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, both at more than $15 million a year, is that they're not the receivers those guys are or the pass protectors, the third-down value that not only allows teams to you know get the most out of them in a passing league, uh, create explosive and, and just bigger chunk plays that way, but that's also a way for teams to kind of safeguard against the hits that kind of take mileage off the back is getting them the ball on the perimeter down the field. Uh, Taylor so far hasn't been as developed at that. I think he's kind of capable of it, uh, but, but pass protections where he's, you know, it's probably the one area where he really needs to, to kind of take a leap and show he can do more in. So the package I think he's presented out there so far is a lot more like Nick Chubb. And that's the kind of deal I would go for if I'm them. Nate, kind of a two-parter here. First, to build off of your comment regarding his lack of high-level ability within pass protection and not being the pass-catching back that some of the other names you listed, like Christian McCaffrey, who we talked about earlier, is if he was those things, would we still be having this conversation? And then secondly, being a beat reporter on the ground, how did this come up? Because the last couple of days, we've talked about how a lot of Colts players have not been I don't even say he's creating drama, but they've not been talking about contract discussions like others that are in their same boat could have done. Was he asked this because it's a fair question on the beat to ask, given what's happening with running backs right now? Or did he make it a point to to bring this up during availability yesterday? Uh, Well, to your first question about kind of the the timing of it, if you look at the Colts, they love to sign players. They always very often extend their own guys that have proven their value here and are good teammates. They very rarely let those guys walk, but they usually sign them right before the season. 
The last year was Quentin Nelson. I was literally at a restaurant in Houston the night for the opener, and that news came through that he signed his extension. So the timeline, I think, is kind of falling in a similar way. But I do think it would be easier to to just say on both sides, yeah, he's no doubt worth the value if he had kind of checked every single box that's, that's possibly out there. But I still think they're right on, on the timeline for it. Um, but with Taylor, you know, I wasn't over there at the moment when he was talking, but I went back and watched, you know, watched the video of, of the interview. And it, it did come up just in, in questioning. But what's different is we've asked him about contract talk before. The last time we got him, we talked about it. That was right before he had switched agents. And he really did not say anything on it the last time. So I was a little surprised that he did this time. I think part of it's they're moving and, you know, they're accelerating a little bit. He has the new agents. He has the uh, the agents that did Shaquille Leonard's deal. So he's a little bit more ingrained in kind of the tradition of the Colts paying their players and rewarding them and how they've gone about doing that. But I, I thought more of it was that Taylor wanted to kind of stand up for his position across the league because running backs in the NFL right now, are a lot of them are coming out and saying a lot on this topic. I mean, Saquon Barkley has really put out a lot out there about his kind of frustrations with not getting a deal yet, with the Giants leaking, you know, some of the offers that they made that he hasn't accepted yet, hinting that he might not be in training camp. Uh, you know, Josh Jacobs has uh, not yet signed his tender for the uh, for the franchise tag that the Raiders put on him. You know, Dalvin Cook got released, and that kind of that, that bothered a lot of players because of how per- consistently productive he's been, that he has not fallen off yet, and yet doesn't have a place on a team at the moment. Uh, and then, you know, Najee Harris kind of stepped up and, and voiced support for the same topic because he's a guy looking forward to what his life's going to be. And I think a lot of them are just – they're just realizing that, like, there's an understanding that running backs are not – what they were in football, you know, 20, 30 years ago. They're not going to be the reason that you're a contender fully. But I do think that they're seeing that teams are finding a lot of value out of run games and out of high-level backs, especially when you have young quarterbacks, the way that they can kind of take pressure off both in their production and in the hits that they take away from a quarterback. You know, I think about a guy like Dak Prescott, when he stepped in, to the Cowboys in his rookie year, Tony Romo's hurt. You know, he's this fourth-round pick and played super, super well. And, and a lot of credit to him, but part of it was that he had Zeke Elliott, this pure bell cow back that would, you know, be able to score some, take the pressure off of a rookie to make all the plays, but also kind of let his uh, mobility be an asset without being the focal point that gets a player injured because Zeke was taking so many of those hits himself. That's kind of where... That's what Saquon Barkley was for Daniel Jones, got Daniel Jones paid, and he's wondering why he hasn't gotten paid yet. And so these guys, you know, Jonathan Taylor could be that for Anthony Richardson, and I think they're all willing to be that. They chose this life, which is incredibly uh, – it's, it's dangerous and risky, and it can – you know, and they know they're going to wear down. It's, it's one of those, like, uh, you know, five times undefeated, especially at the running back position. They just want to feel like they're getting the security and the compensation for it really the same conversation that Debo Samuel had when uh, he's a wide receiver, but the 49ers use him a ton as a running back and on run plays. And he said, that's totally fine. Use me however you want. Just I need you to guarantee a lot of the contract if I'm going to take the pounding on this. What they don't want is a situation where a team knows the deal's up in a year if they're on a franchise tag or a contract year. So let's just like set the league uh, record in rushing attempts 
and give this guy the biggest pounding in the world and just get all the mileage out of him this year and then send him into free agency as kind of a broken version of himself. Rather, what they want is if a team signs him to a three-, four-year deal, that team then has its own responsibility to look out for the health of that player because it's the health of one of its assets for a multi-year period. And in doing that, they can kind of, you know, game plan with it as far as how they divvy up carries between backs, how they divvy it between quarterback and running back, how many of the touches come on the perimeter or in the passing game. Like, teams start to just game plan this much differently. Uh, you see, like, with, uh, with Christian McCaffrey and the 49ers, he's finally in a very sustainable role for like his style of play where they're going to get value out of the contract. That can only happen if you make that commitment on the team's end. So they just kind of want to both be committed to it rather than a situation where the back is giving everything he can at the most violent position and they're just going to kind of ride it and leave him uh, to be someone else's issue. He's Nate Atkins, Colts beat reporter at the Indy Star. I want to give you a Blake canvas over here, Nate. Blank where I'm just thinking you being out there, mini camp, new regime, some brand new players, what have you found to be the most interesting about how the Colts are just trying to put things together for the upcoming season? I think what's most interesting to me is just the ways that they're dropping Anthony Richardson in and putting him in situations and seeing where he is in his development, where he needs to go, because really that's going to be the storyline of training camp and the season is it's all the development of Anthony Richardson, even more so than what the record's going to be this season, probably, unless they really shock us and are a contender, uh, you know, Super Bowl type contender. But for the most part, it's going to be about Anthony. And so, you know, they, there's, there's been different schools of thought about, you know, do you, do you just have a, a, when you have a quarterback this young, do you just have him sit and learn? Is it more just a mental time to watch others, to watch a veteran quarterback like Gardner Minshew? Or are there moments where, like, you need to just throw him in the deep end? Do you need to stress test him and see kind of what the gaps are? See why, you know, he completed 53% of his passes at Florida? Like, what are the specific steps in the uh, mechanics, the drop back and the, the mechanics of the throw that, that have him in that spot? And they, they've done that where we've seen him we've seen him run the first team we've seen him run the second team play with a variety of different players we've seen it where he's run kind of scripted plays where they, they he knows exactly what the plays are going to be that day there's been others where they just like told it to him in the huddle that they you know something that they brought up weeks ago that they've never run they want to see how he adjusts to it from one play to the next flushes one play to the next we've seen him in red zone situations where it really stresses the the ball placement and the quick decision-making, but we've also seen him in uh, kind of these full-field, two-minute drill-type situations where it's both you know, moving with a sense of urgency but trying to take those shot plays with his uh, cannon of an arm. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, that's part of why you see the updates coming out. Some of the numbers when we track his throws, which we do for every quarterback, but you know, that's, that's gained a little bit of attention just because – you know, it, it, the numbers aren't great. He's been under 50% the past couple of days. There's been, you know, some plays where nothing disastrous, but, you know, he's thrown, you know, he threw a pick a couple of days ago. He's missed on some throws, but this is all like they're, they're designing it this way where they could have designed it to where he's just kind of going through the motions and he's just kind of sitting and learning. And that's just not what they want to get out of it. They're ready to just drop him in. They, they've been very adamant that, uh, that young players learn by playing. And so they're modeling that in their practice settings where 
they're going to give him stuff that he's not built for quite yet or that he's not he's not developed enough for yet. But it's going to give them stuff to put on film to teach him and walk him through, marry it with the playbook and tell him, like, you know, th- these are all the areas you got to get better at. Because right now what he's showing is a guy who's pretty obsessed at that. Where he's, he's studying the playbook constantly, his head's in his iPad. He's not really doing a whole lot other than being a full-time football player. So they're trying to give him as much material with to work with as possible, and I think it's a pretty good approach. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nate, last thing from me, when you look at the contract situations that the Colts are in right now in terms of upcoming extension, you mentioned it and Ballard's mentioned in the past, Jonathan Taylor mentioned in his interview yesterday that Colts generally take care of their own guys. We look at the guys that are up with Jonathan Taylor, with Grover Stewart, with Michael Pittman Jr., just to name a few. I know Kenny Moore's on that list as well, but I would put those guys probably a tier above Moore at this point. Where's the order of when these mouths necessarily get fed? Because, yes, it would be great to be able to take care of everybody before the regular season starts, as has been tradition with bigger-name guys, but you're also risking a lot of what you really want to be married to, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, before you find out how those pieces gel with Anthony Richardson. So how, how do they juggle all of this, and who's at the front of the line in this Chris Ballard cafeteria of money? I think right now the the one priority is Jonathan Taylor, as we talked about. That's a deal that I, I think will get done on their normal timeline of right before the season starts. Um, if it doesn't, that's when we get into an awkward territory where he's in a contract year and we get into some of those uh, conversations I hinted at about you know a team looking out for just getting production that year over the long term. That's what I think they all are going to want to avoid. But he's the only one I see really with that urgency right now because I think st- some of these other players, they're either evaluating kind of what their ceiling is, what their true fit is on this team, or they're evaluating kind of how they fit the window of where this team is going. So this year is going to tell them some things about how close they are to taking that next step the next year. You look at a team like the Eagles where Shane Second came from, his first year there, Jalen Hurts is – he was in his second year and played a little bit, but they were really evaluating a lot of the same things at that time. A team that's really in a very similar spot with coming off a terrible year and hiring a new coach. But that team kind of hit it late in the season and made the playoff and made a wild card spot. And that taught them that they were a lot closer than maybe people on the outside thought, maybe even some in the building thought. And that's when they really pushed things in. Then they trade for A.J. Brown. They start extending players. They knew they had their window right then. And, of course, they make the Super Bowl. But, you know, it could go another way where if the season ends up, you know, if you're if you're a two-win team, maybe you don't, you know, two- or three-win team, maybe you don't feel the same way. But there's also players that they have to, they just have to kind of see what their, their full fit is. For example, is Michael Pittman Jr., is he, you know, can he be that true number one? You know, don't feel like he's, he hasn't proven that, but he hasn't gotten the chance to, really prove it either when they've given him multiple quarterbacks a season or a new quarterback every single year. This will be a year where, you know, what can he be for 17 games with a rookie quarterback who is willing to take some risks and has a big arm? You know, there's guys like Julian Blackman, I think, is going to, you know, be a sneaky guy to, to extend here because he's in a new position at strong safety. 
is now, I think, going to be the most vocal leader of a very young secondary. But we have to see how that plays out. He's never played that position before. We have to see kind of how the young players around him take to his uh, very vibrant vocal style. I think they'll take to it well, but they, they, they want to see how that plays out. So some of these is just too premature to, to really get too into and understand kind of what the ceiling and what the need is for this player. What makes Taylor different is that he's a running back, uh, that it is a contract year, and also just that you know we've seen the peak of him. We've seen him lead the league in rushing by 500 yards. There's no question about what his importance is going to be to the style of offense they're running. So it's more about finding the actual number value for him and getting it done before they get into awkward territory. But I don't think any other player will really have that kind of strain uh, as much that Taylor would if, if it got into the season. Hey, Nate, thanks for the time, bud. SPF it up today. Uh, well, luckily we're, we're off today. They canceled the last day of minicamp, so I'm hiding inside. But come training camp, I'll be, uh, be buying a lot of suntan. There's no sun lotion. There's no question about it. There you go, man. We'll catch you soon, Nate. Have a good day. Thanks, Nate. All right. Yep. See ya. There he is, Nate Atkins, cold speed reporter at the Indy Star. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Dustin DePirac, Pacers beat reporter at the Indy Star. Got this draft coming up this week. First thing, completely off the radar. I have, uh, you know, sports radio ADD over here, Dustin. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down on the three, uh, what is it, three doors down song Superman. What, what would you say about that, Dustin? I'm a fan. That was taking me back right there. I was yeah. enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big, I, like, there's stuff after that didn't do a whole lot for me, but I remember when that came out on the radio, I was like, this this is this is a pretty solid jam right here. Yeah, I feel so. like that's a good way to... To describe it, pretty solid jam right there. I don't know what else they've done with their, uh, you know, band, <laughs> but not they bad. Bunch, they had a bunch of other stuff. It was okay, you know. I mean, like they were on, you know, alt rock radio or hard rock radio or whatever for a long time. Had a bunch of other ones that were all right, but that one, that one was my jam back then. I was, it was like ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand a little bit. That was kicking back then. We're gonna do a deep dive on Three Doors Down here in a little bit, but uh, <laughs> appreciate appreciate that. Uh, how about the Pacers this week? This is what I was thinking, Dustin. With all, this is rumor week, right? If sure. Bradley Beal is on the move, hey, if the Pelicans move up and get Scoot Henderson, all that type of stuff. Do you see any of these rumors out there potentially impacting the Pacers and who's available to them? Well, yeah, because I think I mean it is giving you some sense of what the price is for the second and third pick. And I think they, if you were the Pacers, you had, you know, like Kevin Pritchard has said he wanted to be aggressive uh, in this in this entire cycle, starting with the draft, um, because they've got a lot of draft capital. Capital, Obviously, they've got five picks, three of which are very movable, 26, 29, and 32. They're going to have a hard time moving 55. Obviously, seven they can use if they want to move up. Um, 
but you know, you, I'm sure that he's been shopping those. I mean, he, he basically told us, like, we want to move those. You know, we don't want to bring in five rookies. We're young enough as is. That's going to be just not a good roster situation. So we've got to find a way to move these. So we're going to look to be aggressive with that. So they were always going to look at maybe it would be players. Maybe it would be, you know, just moving up somewhere in the draft. Um, but these rumors basically, if, you know, if, if it's going to cause Zion Williamson to get up to two, well, the Pacers can't get up to two. <laughs> like, they, they can't match that. Um, and, and so the other ones I've seen, you know, from the beginning, it sounds like Portland has always wanted players uh, for number three, ready, ready to go guys, because the, the idea is that Damian Lillard wants to make a move, so he wants somebody proven. And the, you know, uh, the, the general consensus or, or logic was that they, they were going to want an elite small forward. And the Pacers don't have an elite small forward. And, and like one name that I've seen come out a couple of times is Pascal Siakam. Michael Bridges is another one. You know, the, the Pacers aren't going to be able to play on that scale. I mean, I think the only guy that I could even imagine them, them getting uh, Portland to even look up about would be Miles Turner. And they already have a center in, in Yusuf Nurkic. And, and I think Turner can do a little more things for you. I think he's an all-around better player. You know, York is, is better at what he's, he is, just being a large human. Um, but, you know, Turner gives you a little bit more, but I, I don't think that's moving the deal either. So if you're not moving up to two or three, then you're not getting Brandon Miller. Um, and I, I think that's the one guy that I, I would really consider uh, making a big, big move for if, if I am the Pacers in this draft because, I mean, he fits, uh, you know, he obviously fits the role. They need somebody of a bigger wing, a three or a four type, uh, somebody that can defend multiple positions, has a lot of length and can shoot it, and Brandon Miller is that guy um, and did it at a, at a very high clip for Alabama this year. So, I mean, that's that's the one guy that you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, commit significant, um, you know, basically significant assets to try and land this guy. And if not, it's like, okay, well, what – you know, does it make sense to move up for anybody else? And what would would you really trade to to try to leapfrog Orlando or or Detroit? Um, they are looking at some of the same guys you are, but would they be willing to make that move? Um, and and again, what are you willing to lose for that? So I think that the the offers I'm seeing out there, if, if that's what the cost is for pick two and pick three, um, then 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 the Pacers can't compete with that, and that means that they're more likely staying put than than even a guy would have thought. Dustin, whether it's in-person workouts you've visually seen or whether it's workouts that you have seen from Pacers social media or just from the conversations that you've had with Pacers personnel, who of the likely candidates for them to take if they stay put at seven has impressed you the most or or left a, a solid impression in your mind? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've like we don't get to see much. Basically, they let us in as soon as we're done, <laughs> so we get to be around them and talk to them and stuff. And so we get to we get to look at them physically and see them maybe you know shoot some jumpers after. We don't get to see much of the workout, um, but just from a you know, I mean, they, they've all kind of impressed me. Um, just from a to talk to sort of thing. I mean, I mean, I think Jareth Walker. The thing that I guess one thing that does stand out is how much Jareth Walker's trimmed up. Um, I mean, I think if you look at, um, you, you can see, it seems like he carries a good bit of weight when you watch him on film. Uh, and he definitely seems like he's, he's cut up a little bit. And we talked to him about that. And he said, you know, I've cut out the wing stop and the Chick-fil-A. So, you know, it's made a difference. And so he's already got, I mean, like, it, it, obviously he doesn't want to give up too much muscle. I mean, there's it, his, his size is important for him. I mean, I think he measured the combine somewhere, maybe six, six and a half, maybe six, six and three quarters. When I think he was listed at like six, eight, six, nine, somewhere in that range, but he does have about a seven, two and a half wingspan. Um, so I, I think ultimately he needs some bulk. He needs some width. It's important for him to be able to really, you know, box out and move some people around on the glass, but you know, he still does have to, uh, you know, his, his biggest thing is being able to move side to side and guard multiple positions. You, you can throw, 
him on a guard and he can stay in front of him. Um, you know, that's what he's got to be because he's, you know, that defense is his calling card. He's got to be able to sell uh, that versatility, you know, and, and whatnot. So I think that really kind of helps him when you add. You know, the explosiveness of the combine, I mean, he was up there as far as uh, highest verticals, max standing. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that adds something as far as th- there's something that changed, you know, within the course of a workout. But I think, you know, really, I, I think it comes down to four guys at this point. It's just a question of which of them will be left because Detroit's certainly going to want at least one of them. Um, but it's Walker, it's Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida, I think they've been really impressed with, and I, and I think you watch him on film, uh, he is really impressive. He really fits what you're looking for as, as a, a guy who could play the four and, and stretch. He's a really good shooter. Uh, you know, Cam Whitmore obviously is a huge, huge talent coming out of Villanova. He's a really young guy. I, mean, I don't think he's he might have just turned 19 or he's turning 19 soon. Like it's it's close right there, and you saw a lot of potential for him. And then you have Osar Thompson. I think Eamon, his his twin brother, will probably be gone, um, and Eamon's more of a lead guard. But Osar was a bigger wing. Six, about six, six and a half with about a seven foot wingspan and a ton of athleticism. I think he had a 42 inch vertical and like overtime elites things. He, they, they didn't jump at the combine, um, but super talented kid. And I think, you know, a really high upside. So, you know, Detroit's going to take at least one of those guys. Orlando might take another. And it's just a question of which two are they ultimately choosing between, you know, possibly three. Um, but I, it seems like each of those guys have been impressive overall. We talked to Grady Dick today. He's an impressive guy. I, I don't think uh, he, he's ultimately in play there. I think he'll probably go 9, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. They might, I think, try to trade up from 26, maybe, uh, to look into him if they like him enough. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, again, if, if someone will take those three picks and give you the opportunity to, to draft Grady Dick, I think the Pacers will be all over it, but I don't know if that's going to work out. Um, but, you know, each of those guys, again, I was impressed sort of with the basketball IQ on each of them. You really got to get to talk in hoops with Hendricks and Walker, and you can tell they really understand how important it is to be, uh, you know, not just really good on-ball, but off-ball defenders, and that's, that's you can see it in their tape that they're uh, really good at rotations, really good at moving around and switching, and 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 you know just just you know getting to blocks on the weak side from the weak side. I mean, like there's there's a lot that's impressive about their game intellectually, and I think that really matters for what they're trying to build and, and how much they have to make leaps defensively. Would it be harder for you to cut out Wingstop or Chick Fil A in your diet? That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, like in a sports writer diet, it's Chick Fil A because you frequently get free Chick Fil A. Um, uh, yeah, you know, that's 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 that issue. No, no, no. Unfortunately, no one's bringing free wing, wing stop. I mean, wing stop is better. <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, I, how many how many times how many times in a, in a press box have you got free wing stop? I don't know that it's ever happened. That's a good point, right there. Dustin Depierak joining us here, Pacers beat reporter at the Indy Star. When you look at the top ten collectively. What interests you the most? Because we know Wemby's going to the Spurs. It's almost like the NFL draft where it's like the draft begins with the Texans at two. You know, we know who's going number one. So what intrigues you the most in the top ten with all of these teams? Yeah, I mean, there's there's really a lot because I mean, I, I just feel like it goes so many. It, it could go a lot of different directions. I mean, I am interested just in the Scoot Brandon Miller uh, debate. I mean, I presume it's between uh, the two of them, and obviously that does you know, if those two picks get made by the teams that make them or that have them at the moment, you know, that doesn't necessarily affect the Pacers that much. Like I said, I'm sure that they're gonna uh, they're trying. To, I'm sure they're gonna have to try to make a play if they haven't already. You know, you, you got to call Charlotte and Portland and find out. Okay, what's the cost? You know, I'm interested enough just to know. What's it going to cost me? You know, are these picks going to do it or not? Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued. First off, if 
if both of those teams stay, if neither one of them move, um, if it's Scoot first or if it's Brandon Miller first, I'm just intrigued by that to see, you know, is, is Charlotte going to take Miller because he seems to be a, a bigger need? Um, or, or are you going to be willing to put uh, Scoot next to LaMelo and just see how that goes? Um, you know, what's, what is Portland going to do? You know, how bad do they want to move that pick, basically? So I think there's just a lot of intrigue with those two picks um, from a, you know, can the Pacers make any kind of play for it? But also just you know, who values who more and, and what's going to be like to add those two guys to those teams or, or if they trade out. Um, I mean, I'd be, you know, Houston's interesting at four. I think they take Eamon Thompson. I think that's kind of the, um, you know, just uh, is conventional wisdom at this point, but that they try to move. Obviously, they're, you know, they did not have a very good year. And it's like, okay, what, what's their next step? Um, and, and if they're picking at four, obviously, they would have been hoped to, to be in that one. Benyama sweepstakes and be higher up. Is Eamon Thompson up for them? Or do they try to get out and get more assets or try to to get uh, somebody that's more proven or somebody who's more experienced. What do they do there? And I think, you know, Pist- the, like a, a lot of what's going to be available for Indiana is depending on what the Pistons do because I think they're looking for similar type players bigger wings, maybe a power forward, some of those lines. They also have their lead guard set uh, with Kate Cunningham and also Jaden Ivey, and then they've got bigs as well uh, with Jalen Duran. So they're looking kind of for the same type of player uh, that the Pacers are. They're looking for more threes and fours um, as well. Uh, and then so I think Orlando, I, Orlando was kind of wild card. They've already got a lot of big guys, but I think they could be interested uh, in somebody like a Jairus Walker or a Taylor Hendricks uh, or an Oscar Thompson. I mean, I think they could be interested in any of those. And then, and then what what decision did the Pacers ultimately make? Um, so I, I, feel, I really feel like every pick from two on has some kind of intrigue, uh, and I'm not sure about any one of them uh, on. It, it becomes a really interesting draft from that point, but I do think, I mean, you're looking kind of the same pool of guys through about 8, 9, and 10, and then you hit 10, and it's like, I mean, I've just seen mock drafts just all over the place from 10 on. And, and like Jalen hood Shafino, I think he could go maybe as high as 10 or 11, or he could go as low as 18, 19. I mean, I think it's, it's if, if you're looking at mocks, it's really hard to kind of get a sense of what anybody uh, from 10 until about 20 is thinking, and it's even wilder from 20 on. Um, so it, it has a chance to be a very interesting draft. I mean, I think it's, just, it's the same names for the top 10. It's just how you shuffle them. Uh, but from 10 on, I mean, there's, there's a lot of range from where players could go. Dustin, you're the man. Really appreciate the time today, bud. We'll catch you soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. There he is. Dustin DePirac, uh, Pacers beat reporter at the Indy Star.